0: Welcome to the ASC podcast, Cytopath Pod. Join special guests to highlight ASC activities in cytopathology education, advocacy, and research.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Kirk Facey, I am a cytologist at New York Presbyterian Hospital as well as chair of the ASC Bulletin and Cytopath Pod Editorial Board. I'm so excited this afternoon uh, to join this esteemed panelist here with us today who are responsible for the new and phenomenal science, medicine, and cytology summer certificate program. I'm so excited for this conversation and we will begin, I think, with an introduction of the esteemed panelists here with us this afternoon.
2: I'll start. Um, My name is Ali Lowe, and I am a cytopathologist at Stanford, but also have the honor of being one of the co-chairs of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, along with Dr. Reed, who I will pass it along to.
3: Uh, Hello, everyone. I am uh, Michelle Reed. I am the director of cytopathology at Emory University in Atlanta. And as Ali said, I am the co chair of the, or vice chair of the DEI committee. I'll pass it on to Evita.
4: Hi. I'm
5: Avita Henderson-Jackson. I'm a pathologist at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida, as well as a residency program director for pathology program at the University of South Florida. I specialize in cytopathology, but I also do bone soft tissue pathology and some breast pathology. Um, My area of passion is education, as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion, as I
4: act as the GME director for DEI for my institution. Next, I'll pass it on to uh, Miss Natalie.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Avita. I'm Natalie Vinay. I am a gynecologic and cy- cytopathologist. I work at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio in the USA. Um, I am also the GYN fellowship director here and um, I've been working with the DEI committee for a few years now for the American Society of Cytopathology. I think, who do we still have? Um, Nora, you still wanna introduce yourself? Go next. You're muted right now.
6: Hi. Yes, uh, my name is Nora Morgenstern. I'm a- APCP-trained uh, pathologist. I also have fellowships in cytopathology and blotta. Right now, I am the regional director of Elmhurst and Queens Hospitals, which are city hospitals in New York. Um, I enjoy cytopathology immensely and uh, use it every day in my practice. Uh, and I'm very happy to be here uh, sharing this podcast. I'll pass it on, Cecilia Jimenez.
7: Hi, hello. This is Cecilia Jimenez. I'm a pathologist and cytopathologist at uh, New York Northwell Health. I'm also a cytopathology fellowship director here. That's it.
2: Thank Thank you everyone from the committee for introducing yourself. We have many more members on the DEI committee and um, I would encourage you all as ASC society members to consider um, participating in the society by contributing some of your service to committee service. And if you would like to consider the DEI committee as one of your possibilities, please do reach out to our leadership. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Lowe. That is a wonderful introduction. And I actually would love to start off on that, the introduction of the DEI committee. Can you talk about what prompted the creation or investment in this work? What was the impetus? What is the vision and mission of this creation?
2: Thanks so much for that great question, Kirk. I would say we were very lucky to have the past president, Dr. Guliz Barkan, be very interested in supporting of this endeavor as well. And so she was the one who actually had the vision for creating this committee as an ad hoc committee um, during her presidential year. And we were lucky to send out then um, solicitations for applications for committee members and all of these wonderful folks on the call today and more actually applied to be members of the committee and we I think really have the goal of reflecting exactly kind of what the title um, of the committee is really encouraging diversity, equity and inclusion within and beyond the society. So we love to have there be some different folks that can participate um, within the society. And also, it's really appreciated to have um, different programs that we as a society can provide to the broader community um, in many different respects. And we're really lucky to have the support of the society for creating this. SMC Squared program, which you'll hear about more, as just one of the wings in how we hope to do more work on this.
1: Absolutely, thank you so much, and and that leads us right into uh, that wing of why we're here, uh, the creation of this. Uh, science, medicine, cytology, summer certificate program very much in the realm of community outreach, very much in the realm of innovation and reaching outside of academia, our community and making connection with young people. Please talk about the who, what, where, why and how
4: of this phenomenal inaugural program. Um, So
3: I'd say that essentially the committee, one of our main goals was outreach. And we wanted to reach not only um, cytopathologists who are already established, but also budding um, pathologists, budding um, doctors. And we figured that the best way for us to do this would be for us to essentially start reaching out to folks even before they had even considered medicine and to encourage them to consider medicine as a, as a future profession. And that's kind of where the idea was born. The SMC Square program is just one of many outreach, well, several outreach programs that we've um, initiated. But this one is targeting high school students and also college students. Uh, we're happy to say that the program started last year and um, for or in our girl year, we had about 90 um, participants, but uh, we found out so far this year, we've had uh, almost 200 uh, participants already. And so we would consider this a resounding success. Um, They're mainly high school students, but um, there were a few uh, college uh, participants this year as well.
1: Amazing, thank you so much. Please talk about the mechanics of this program what are the students anticipating? What are they looking forward to? What can they expect to learn and walk away from as they move back uh, into uh, their, their lives as students and
4: lifelong learners? Well,
5: Kirk, um, with this online course program, um, we wanted to basically be able to cut down some barriers, if not all, where we can reach students across states and across our nation, and perhaps somehow across our the national, across countries, where they can see didactic sessions and introductions to one, what is medicine, how do you become a physician and then speak about what is pathology and what is cytopathology and learn what does a cytopathologist do? What is a finding aspiration? What are smears? What does rapid on-site evaluation means? And students have the opportunity to look at our pre-recorded didactics on several topics and then they get to have the Q&A session with uh, a percent of the faculty that provided these didactics during the summer set, during the summer, during the session, that's live Q&A through Zoom, where they can can ask more detailed questions, get some more information and insights of being a physician and being a pathologist and cytopathology and what avenues and stuff that we can have Uh, that they can reach for um, and help them with resources and um, kind of direct them to things in case they are considering a career in medicine. And I think this is really important so we can reach um, audiences, everyone, but also to reach our underrepresented uh, minority um, population so they can to see that this exists. There are physicians that look just like them that do pathology and that there are
2: help and resources to aid them in their career.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much.
2: Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Henderson-Jackson. To go into some of the specifics of the program, last year when we started, there were six online modules that um, students could view at their discretion whenever they want, they were available 24 hours, when they register for the course there was a pre test that they took, um, and then the online modules they can complete at their convenience but there were also four Q and A sessions with members of this ASC that are also members of the DEI committee who volunteered to just spend time with these students and answer any questions that they had and just really relate to them as people. Um, And then a post-test was completed at the end of the session. And at the end, when the post-test is completed, if all the modules were done, The people can elect to participate in the Q&A sessions, but they're not required, and the participants all receive a certificate from the American Society of Cytopathology, and that's something they can put on their resume, but it also shows that they've kind of learned something about our field in pathology, about a little bit about medicine, and a little bit about cytopathology. Um, The nice part about the program is that it's entirely free so there's no cost at all to the students and um, it's already in existence. We built on it now for this additional year, we've added a module that expanded a little more on the clinical pathology aspects of the field of pathology and um, same pre and post test and it's been great that we've had even more participation. So. That's the nitty-gritty about the program. And we hope, um, as you see in your email, that when the solicitation for registration comes out, that you'll feel free to share information about this program with your community members. Um, So it could be people inside medicine, but we really hope to share it with people outside of medicine and those who may not have um, kind of direct contact with someone that can serve as a mentor to them, because we really hope to make ourselves available to really decreasing kind of the barrier of access for knowing more about how to get into the medical field in general. So those Q&A sessions are ongoing right now, um, but the modules are available at any point. And um, even though we call it a summer program because we know that's when students may have a little bit more time on their hands to be available, we've definitely also made those modules available year round. So.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Lowe. You know, one of the things that stands out to me regarding this program is the uh, motif of mentorship. Right, where we can have this database of uh, students and young learners uh, who we put through uh, this program and make connections with. Is there a part of uh, your program now or the future in terms of creating a database in terms of the connection uh, that we make with these young people and having a broader system of long term support as they continue along their education journey?
2: That's a great question, Kirk. Yeah, we do have a database that's keeping track of all of these students. And as we continue to build the program, the goal is for there to be continued communication and contact between the ASC and all of our student participants but then also potentially additional um, support systems available and just kind of like outreach contact points for when we can even stay in touch with them over the course of the year and i will say um, we have made ourselves available to individual students and there are a few of them even from last year that i've continued to communicate with which has been really great so it's been an opportunity to just get to meet more people and for the students to also advocate for themselves um, and find ways to continue learning more about our field. So we hope we'll build in more structure in the future for that, um, but it is a work in progress waiting for more support from the society and you all listeners um, to help us with the continued development as well.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's what it really points to is continued development and expanding. And this leads me into uh, our next area of conversation. As as educators, what have you learned? What are you learning from students? Uh, How has this expanded your
4: understanding of your own roles as educators?
0: I can talk, I guess. I haven't spoken yet. This is Natalie. Um, I would say just in general, um, in the last few years with the pandemic and then with the sort of increased spotlight on diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, as a a person who is not a minority, I see myself as a resource. Um, and so I try to be very intentional with where I use my energies and to make sure that I am trying to reach people who might not otherwise have opportunities to gain access to medicine as a career like Avita said um, I think our goal was to lower the barriers for entry for folks who might not have family members or close friends or you know loved ones who are in medicine um, to make ourselves sort of um, a friendly face someone that they feel comfortable approaching so this summer program that was designed um, with the help of the whole committee was, really about making it free and easy and um, giving these young people a chance to sort of just plant a seed in their mind that medicine or a career in medicine is possible for them. So as an educator, I think it's important to approach every interaction that you have with a trainee or with a student with an open mind and um, to always be trying to make sure everyone feels included. Because I think as someone who's in academic medicine, I know not everyone here is But uh, often I I think that high achievers in academic medicine um, come into their career in medicine knowing that they can succeed. And if you talk to people who are in underrepresented groups, often they feel excluded from that space, like there's not a place for them. So um, I'm always trying to show them that there are many ways of being successful and um, outlining ways that they can do that. So that's my two cents.
1: Absolutely. And please, uh, to the uh, rest of the panelists, please continue to expand upon this. What have you learned from your students and how has this expanded your understanding of your own role as an educator?
3: So for me, as a foreign medical graduate, I'm originally from Jamaica. So from my perspective, it's been interesting. I've certainly learned a lot just from the the, the program itself because I learned more about how... Um, An American or someone in the American system can apply to, you know, medical school and so on from high school I didn't know how this was and it's completely different in the Caribbean than it is in the US so. I certainly learned a lot about that and my hope is that, especially for immigrants or the the children of immigrants that in seeing the diversity of our committee and the, the participants in the, um, the program that they will be encouraged and they will certainly feel um, included and feel as if you know this is a career that will work for them. I think DEI in general just kind of got sparked for me, especially in the last few years after the whole George Floyd incident and so on. I just feel that it is so important that we reach out to, to those who usually are just do not have an opportunity to see us in this light, see us in medicine in all facets of medicine, not just as doctors, but as psychologists, folks working in the labs as well, they will get an opportunity. And I think it really begins with just seeing an example of yourself in that role. just, just that. Just that simple initiative, I think um, can encourage so many more to, to do more. And so that's really been my goal to try to be more present and aware and inclusive of um, others and getting them more involved in medicine.
1: Absolutely, thank you so much, Dr. Reed. Yes,
2: thank you so much, Dr. Reed. like to echo that I've been so appreciative of Dr. Reed's contributions with her individual perspective as well. So I think it's been great to have different members of our society come together to try and structure a program for our students for our future. And I will just put out a little chime that Dr. Reed's on the ballot for the executive board of the ASC. So for all of you listeners out there, keep in mind that we would love to have her (laughs) voice um, shared in our leadership as well, so. Thank thank you, Allie. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks.
1: Yes, thank you so much. Uh, Please, uh, this is, you know, we're all learners in life and uh, as well as educators, and I think this is a phenomenal uh, subject as that is what has brought us here. Anyone else would like to expand on our development understanding of our roles as educators?
4: Hi.
5: Um, since I always loved um, to teach, to learn, to educate, I always wanted to incorporate my um being a physician, practicing pathology, and with education. And I love the opportunity that I can actually reach those before they are even residents, like get them before they even hit undergrad. Because I was raised in New York. I come from a family that were just workers, that's all the blue collar workers. They worked. Um, in having a career, going to college was not something that was, like, raised as extremely important. It was more you got to survive. You got to find some type of work that you can do to survive. But thank goodness for my mom. I mean, um, she had a different aspect than some of the other members of our family, and it's like really rooted that um, education will take you far and that you can do anything even though like I did not see as many examples of it but she really supported that and I want to again not leave those of my background behind like I get here and then you just don't go back to kind of help like I see it, our education system's not perfect here. Um, Some schools get better things than other schools, but just to complain about it is not gonna help. So I'm glad I have my um, ASC Pathology Society um, and other um, things that I able to participate in where I can reach those students. The ones that, again, Like Dr. Reed said, like Dr. Bene said, low said, that don't see us, don't even think of it as an idea of something to dream about, that that they can do, that they have the knowledge and the capability of doing because they've been told they could not. And I want to at least be a voice or a sign like that, no, you can. And these are the opportunities, resources you can use to get there. And sometimes even my information, I I'll, I try to help and find people in particular states. No, there's listservs. You, we can usually find somewhere, somewhere that can help um, students get to the right people, the right resources that they need in order to reach their goals. And I think that's like one of the best things that we actually reaching out to them because I've been in. The public school system, there were no doctors coming in to show me what they did for a day. I, I didn't have that at school. You just see what you normally see in the neighborhoods that you grow on. And I think widening experience, and as an educator, it is my job to do that for learners to widen their experience, to show them the things that they can be. Um, so we can actually change medicine there is a directive, they want to increase diversity in medicine. And I think we have to reach out to our students in order to do that.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Evita Anderson Jackson. And isn't that what it's about? You know, we are inspired. We remember when we were students, we remember the teacher, the friend who inspired us and something clicked and it connected and we were able and have been able to achieve and we take the baton and we we own the obligation as you say, and this is how we give new meaning to our own work. Thank you so much. Anyone would like to continue to expand on the subject of our expanding understanding of our roles as educators?
2: I would say that I found it to be really refreshing to speak with high school students. I think as someone who works with residents and fellows um, who've already been through medical school. It's really fun actually to interact with kids who have questions and are really interested in medicine and healthcare fields, but have not been through medical school. They don't even know necessarily how the body works and the Q and A sessions when we're talking to them about the different organs of the body and Dr. Reed showing about a pancreas tumor and the difference from normal and their eyes are just like so wide and it's just so amazing. It's like we're opening up this world to them that is a part of them that they know exists, but they just don't know the details of it and all of the science. And it's really beautiful. I think um, it's made me even more inspired to continue working with younger students, to continue to motivate them at just the awe of what medicine is and hope that they will be interested in continuing to pursue it. and understanding how amazing pathology is, because I think, as a field, we don't have a lot of visibility. So it's a, been a wonderful opportunity, I think, to educate just the lay public at different levels um, about what we do every day.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, you talk about open, open worlds and open doors and open portals, uh, Dr. Low, and that you know, we're all life, life learners. And that leads me to uh, another area. Uh, for those of us who have that connection uh, with our patients in the realm of uh, patient care, uh, what, what, what have we learned uh, from our patients? What are we learning from our patients? And how has this expanded our own understanding of our own role
4: as healthcare providers? Uh, I believe overall that
5: even if physicians that become physicians go into medicine to help others, you know, I want to heal, I want to take care of the health, to the root of it all, we have to be an educator because the patients we see, they do not have the level of understanding sometimes of the science, the physiology, why this is happening, what does this mean? And more and more, I see patients that want to know, why did you call this tumor, this tumor? I have people wanting to see, come to my office and see their tumor under my microscope. They want to understand. They we're in a generation that can get information at their fingertips through Google or Yahoo or whatever. And I think as physicians, it's our obligation to educate our patients on what is the right information versus what's not as right information. And the earlier we start helping people kind of learn some basic medical and health literacy kind of thing, the better overall our population health will be at that point. And so as I'm coming in, being a physician, I'm also going to be somebody's educator, confident, person I lean on is so many things. Um, patients are going through that they bring to the table, then I'm coming there as a physician and even as a pathologist when my moment may not be as long with them. Maybe it's FNA, maybe it's their diagnosis, but all that's cumulative. They having so many things coming at them. I am happy to at least be some source where they're able to understand and be able to put it all together for them not talking over my patients, but talking to my patients. Because then I'm better at that patient to understand and do better for their own health. And I think that's something with the generations that changing, the kind of things people want to know, they want to be involved. And we have to be as physicians step up to the plate to be able to answer the questions that they have and make sure to help them about what information is correct, which information is not correct. I think we we need to be there as pathologists to help our clinical colleagues with this, with their patients, as well as all physicians when they're working with their patients.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much. You know, and just to get to a phase where we can get to know you a little bit more, a little bit uh, on a deeper level and the pandemic has been such an important uh, factor in all of our lives. How has the pandemic impacted you? What have you seen during this time? What are you learning and what are your hopes for the future?
4: I have learned that people are very resilient.
5: Um, we have to give ourselves more credit than we do through pandemic COVID, um, social injustice. Sh- there's so many crimes, there's shooting, there's laws that are changing. There is so many things going on. I have to get, we need to give ourselves credit that we have been able to work through through this and still able to take care of each other and to take care of our communities and take care of our patients. Yes, there, there have been losses, people who have left medicine, things that have been very stressed. I know there's mental health issues, but overall human beings, we have done our best. And I think we're still working through it, and we're learning from the challenges that we have. We're learning to be better. We're sitting at the table and we're discussing things, opening the dialogue that was not open before. And hopefully we can keep that momentum where we can keep the open dialogue so we can have the change so it could be better for the society, for our children, for our children's children, so a lot of things, if, if you look at the news, it looks very dire, it looks very dreadful, is, but I have to say, I have trainees, I have patients coming in, we're still treating, we're still doing the things um, we want to do to help our population, help our community, to help each other. And I say, continuing to do that and continue with the dialogue, we want to make change, we want to be inclusive. we want to be diverse, I think now it's more than ever, while we have it up front, the momentum that we make sure these changes can be sustained and continue to discuss. Because before it wasn't being discussed, it wasn't even thought about. It was not like a big health issue with all the disparities and inequities. It's being put towards the front. We got to look at it. And I think getting our great minds together we will find ways to make it better.
1: Absolutely,
3: absolutely. For me, I found that um, one of the things that COVID forced us to do was to educate in a different way. And, um, you know, a lot has been horrible about COVID, but I think this is one of the good things that, that has come out of COVID is that we have found new and innovative ways to educate our trainees, or residents and fellows and, you know, cytopathologists and cytotechnologists the world over. Um, I certainly embrace and endorse all of ASC's online programs, including these YouTube um, lectures that have been offered to everyone and that are free of cost. And our summer certificate program runs right along with that, it's in a similar vein. And I'm also excited to mention here in this forum that we're also about to launch another educational outreach program, um, again, more on a global scale called the Global um, Cytology Certificate, where we're gonna aim at educating not just um, our folks in the ASC in the US, but internationally. We're gonna really try to educate them not just with didactic lectures, but now with online, on-demand live um, sessions where we will review Uh, cases in real time, and we'll have active Q&A, and I think it's just going to be awesome. I think uh, COVID, if nothing else, has taught us that we need to find new ways to reach out to each other, to engage with each other that are more seamless and certainly um, readily available for all, certainly low cost, if not free, um, and that will bring us together, that will increase engagement, not just in or... um, Inside pathology in general, but also in the organization, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to what the future has to offer where that's concerned.
1: Absolutely.
2: Thank you so much, Dr. Reed, for sharing about that. And I would say to kind of dovetail on that, my um, kind of the impact that the pandemic has had on me is to recognize just how interrelated we are we all are globally and how we are more similar than we are different in so many ways. And I think that's where some of the motivation has come to for this outreach um, and really hopefully greater equalization of this amazing education that we've been able to have here in the united states um, in certain populations of the united states and let's make that available to our students domestically but also internationally as well
1: absolutely thank you so much dr Lowe. you know we are in a moment of change Uh, both nationally as well as all over the world. How has the racial justice and equity movement impacted you and your life? What have you seen during this time? What are you learning? And what
4: are your hopes for the future?
2: I guess I might share that I've been so inspired and motivated by the various members of the committee who have been kind of um, also inspired and motivated to take action. And that's where I think our committee has done a lot of great work in the, I think, year and a half that it's been in existence. It hasn't been around for too long. We started in January of 2021 and we've already initiated these two very hopefully far-reaching programs and done another a number of other initiatives actually that have completed or in progress um so i think it really has helped me learn about how much any one of us can contribute in ways i think um i have participated in hands on workshops with multiple folks on this call um, for teaching first year medical students about fine needle aspirations and having them know what we are doing and you know we took 24 hours out of our day to fly somewhere and participate in these workshops that lasted a couple of hours but i think it was really inspiring for the 50 and 100 students that we interacted with and got to show like what we do every day so i think um i think i'm just learning about how much any one person can do and just hoping that um in the future each one of us will feel inspired to also contribute in this positive way.
1: Absolutely. Please continue to expand upon that for our panelists.
2: So
3: for me, um, essentially what happened with the, the racial justice, as you said, the uh, the awakening, was it forced me to examine my role, I guess, as, as a pathologist and how I could be a more active face of this profession. And as a result of that, I was so happy to see the ASC offering this um, opportunity for a DEI committee. I think every organization similar to ours should have such a committee and should have active engagement. And thanks, Ali, for reminding me that we've only been around since January of 2021. We've done so much. I am so proud of the work that we've done as a committee and all the initiatives that we've started. As I said, you know, this this talk isn't enough to cover all of them. And um, we've mentioned just a couple other things that um, I have tried to participate on um, in on a personal level is um, my engagement with organizations, for instance, such as the NMA, Um, For instance, this summer, the NMA um, meeting will be um, in Atlanta, and I'll be giving a talk on cytopathology at that meeting with the hope of um, increasing the awareness of of physicians uh, in medicine about not just pathology in general, but even more so about cytopathology and, and the work that we're doing. So I'm really looking forward to that. Of course, there's um, SMC squared, as we've talked about today and our global um, cytology certificate program coming up. But these are just a few of the ways that I'm hoping on a personal level to just be more engaged, uh, to put my, uh, I guess, to put some of the thoughts into action and to, to help to improve Um, not just the lives of our patients, but also to help to recruit more um, pathologists from other races and other backgrounds to our profession.
1: Absolutely. Phenomenal. And then getting to know you a little bit more to the panelists. If so, what has parenthood taught you? And how does it give meaning and perspective to your life's work, particularly with young people?
5: Well, I have a nine-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old son, and they have really taught me um patience. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really didn't have it when I was younger but I have gotten more patience. And how to be a better educator, because I have one child that's very good at picking up on things very quickly and can put it together and understand it. Then I have another one that's not, gets it so quickly. And I was like, why? I did it for this one. Why doesn't this one get the same thing? And really, it made me like turn around and take time to learn about like, what are the different learning models, ways different learners learn, and how that is even different for adult learners. And got me thinking more in that one, because I I don't have a degree in education. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, since I was going down this route of public education, I started to take time to be like, you know what? The College of Education is right, not that far from USF. It's right there, the other colleges, and working with them. And I'm come to some of their talks and kind of learning how better to do curriculum development, how better to do things for my adult learners to learn. And so then I'm like, hey, maybe I need to do this for my kids. And I found better ways where I need to teach things that I want one child to learn a little bit more differently than the other one one picks up great with me just talking where it's another one I need to show pictures examples and things of that sort so they can solidify the understanding of things and so my children made me better teacher so I can learn to be better about learning my learner about my learners and how, better modes of things I need to go at to get to a different learner types so they can get this information kind of thing. And again, the wonderfulness of patience was a great thing. And they awesome with technology and they figure out things. And it's like, hey, I didn't know I could do this. I need to do this for my residents. Maybe this is something I can try because it seems like they're getting it. And learning things, doing this kind of app thing, so I, I think it's great. I, I I love it. I love being a mom.
0: Avita, uh, oh yeah. So I'm I'm also happy to talk. I have kids. Um, this is Natalie, by the way. Since this is an audio uh, medium, but I am. Um, so you know, I'm a I mom and then like I work full time. And I think one thing that the pandemic has taught me is um, like being gentle with myself and also with my children about time management and what I expect of myself um, and what I expect of my kids. So, you know, it's like you expect yourself to be everything for everyone, but being realistic about how much you can be present for your kids and also how much you can get done at work, I think is a really hard thing to come to terms with. Um, So just setting realistic expectations. And then to piggyback on what Avita said, I think being an educator makes me a better mom and being a mom makes me a better educator because I see, not that I see my trainees as my children, but I see similar um, needs in them that I see in my children. For example, I don't think trainees can learn when they don't feel safe. And I don't think your children can develop healthily if they don't feel safe. So making sure, you know, as a pathologist, I'm not just teaching these young people and early career people how to succeed as diagnosticians, but also how to do things like time management and communication and making sure that they um, feel safe with me enough to even learn from me. So, um, you know, I think that all folds into the idea of inclusivity, which is something that I try really hard to focus on and Um, intentionality, which is something that I think you need as a parent and as a human being and as an educator. So, yeah, I don't know if somebody else wants to talk.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Continue to engage in this work. You know, it makes me think about what drives you, who and what encourages you and show you a way
4: forward. How do you tap into resiliency and hope for the future? Um, I don't know. I, I'm
5: gonna have to leave these to my colleagues because I feel that, people of my culture and background, okay, people who knows the history I don't like of American history when it comes to African Americans. We are built on resilience. I mean how did we survive years and years of, slavery, then Jim Crow laws, then this. And now I have the opportunity to go to college and become a doctor because of all those people before me. Those had to be some very strong, resilient people to do that. And I, I feel that it's that history that comes I come from, the family that I come from where, hey, we may have to wait paycheck to paycheck to eat, but we're going to do it. It's going to make it. It just happens. We're doing that. And that examples of being around that may not always be the right thing. Let me tell you, some things may not be the best habits that people have picked up to survive. But I feel it's just growing up around and seeing that made me like equipped like this is not I can't just lay down and just die because hey I don't have this and I can't do this if I have family to pay for I have kids to take care of so on those examples I'm like you're very resilient people I don't I don't know it's in our blood step hey this is what it is we go to church what I did I learned in church not everybody Okay, I know not everybody's Christian and whatever, but when we went to church and we read the Bible and we're learning about Jesus, far as I'm concerned, he had to be a very resilient person to be going through the same things over and over again, suffering over and over again, to forgive us over and over again. Somebody to have that much grace to go through all of these things had to be a very resilient person. And with that kind of upbringing, I am like, yes, I'm going to get challenges. Yes. I'm going to Hanson's and yes, this is going to be hot. This is what's going to happen, but it's what you do in those situations, what you learn and how you come from that, that is what the type of person that is going to be seen by my children. That is gonna be the examples that they're gonna be around. And what encouraged me to keep continuing to do what I do is I wanna be that example that they see, that they know you can survive. It's it's not always gonna be over. It's not always gonna be happy flowers and everything. I want them to see all sides, but then life is so much sweeter when you know what you've gone through and you made it through and and then you can help someone else. Like somebody, I think someone said, being a blessing to someone else. It's it's so much heartwarming. It's so much, I think, what people, I believe, is what we're here for is to be a blessing for others, to encourage others so we can all be better and do better. And that's kind of how I... feel resilience is. I don't know if there's a perfect answer to your question. I don't know if there's some perfect psychology aspect or some type of skills that I may have had or go the, I know the term to it. But this is what I've raised and been around. And I'm like, this is history. Go back your history. How would we get here? And how are we still
4: surviving? I said, we are resilient people. Hi, hello,
7: this is Cecilia. Um, Just to answer this question, I will give you just a little background. Um, I'm originally from Argentina, and also, um, as you can hear from a little accent, and I'm also a very shy person. So what encouraged me is when I came to this country, actually, I was absolutely lost in the translation, of course, and also in the roads that I have to take in order to achieve my goals. Um, I wasn't sure which road, which um, uh, career to to choose. So someone helped me to do so. So what encouraged me now is to help those like me in this situation to make the roadmap much easier and achievable. And that we all have a voice, um, even though we have a little access.
6: Uh, My name is Nora. I am uh, coincidentally also from Argentina. Um, Regarding resilience, I just wanted to um, just tell you a little bit about uh, how I see that um, as an immigrant uh, and foreign medical graduate with a very thick accent, uh, as a non-English speaker pretty much, Um, It was not always uh, that easy for me. Um, I found myself at age 24 with a brand new medical degree, uh, trying to decide uh, and select a residency program that would um, allow me to do um, everything I wanted to do at 24 to fulfill all my dreams. And... um, There was a lot of resistance and uh, non-acceptance and non-inclusion. However, I knew what I wanted to do and um, I found open opportunities where I was able to develop uh, and fulfill my dreams. Um, For college, high school, elementary kids, for anyone, there is always an opportunity um, if you do like to help others, if you like science, if you like medicine, uh, there is so much to do and, um, such a vast field to advance into, uh, as a medical professional, um, uh, that I would highly encourage each and every one of, um, the listeners, um, diversity is super important, uh, to teach each other tolerance and compromise and, uh, Resilience is part of the game. Uh, when something doesn't work, just try, try again. Uh, there'll be an opportunity there for you, and uh, you will find yourself uh, successful. I really appreciate everyone um, listening and the time to contribute to this podcast. So, uh, this is Michelle.
3: So, one of the things that came out of the um, whole George Floyd incident two years ago was that there were lots of emails back and forth at my home institution, Emory, regarding the incident and regarding doctors and what we could do to to recognize and to advocate for race and for for racial justice. And um, I remember being struck by an email by one of the associate deans and Essentially, what he said was, it is time to get uncomfortable. And that resonated with me because uh, similar to 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 what Nora said, I too am a very shy person. I'm reserved. I'm quiet. And I like to be in the background. I'm a person of few words. But um, that whole incident, um, incident just forced me to uh, come out of my shell and to be more forward facing and to address and engage and talk about issues that typically make folks uncomfortable, right? For some, the whole idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion is uncomfortable. Some folks don't wanna address it, don't want to discuss it, but I think there it's just come a time in, in society right now where we have to, where we have to be engaged. And so that has taught me a whole lot and just putting myself outside of my comfort zone has helped me, I think, to help others. And I would challenge just about anyone on this call, anyone listening in to to look within and to say to yourself as well, it's time to get uncomfortable and uh, to do more. And there's always more that we can do in any small or large way, just to help others who are less fortunate, who have less access, to get even to half of where we have been able to come in in our time. And I just wanna echo just about everything that Evita said as well. As a black pathologist, as a black person in medicine, as a foreign medical graduate and an immigrant, um, my journey has not been a smooth one. It requires hard work, um, it requires engagement, it requires determination, but at the same time, there must be others outside of us who are inclusive, who are reaching out to us and engaging with us to help us to accomplish our dreams. And so I would just hope that this podcast would have reached and inspired uh, some more activism in uh, others who are listening today. Thanks.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Reed. And I think that is what has brought us here are the bonds and the threads that connect us all uh, with the understanding that this is one large human experience and we do have a collective obligation and responsibility for each other and our children's future. In closing this out, I would like to ask this esteemed panelist: what are your
4: hopes for the future of this program and its massive impact?
2: I hope that it'll be an inspiration to even a small subset of folks that we get to interact with and have the privilege to teach about what we do and about medicine um, to possibly become pathologists when it was something that might not have even crossed their mind and to even consider that possibility, I think would be a beautiful thing. And my hope is to be able to actually reach out to every high school student that would be amazing just because i think we as pathologists are part of the fabric of our healthcare system, which is part of the community and the world. And I think to know who we are and just to understand our role and have it be something that can be recognized and then possibly pursued, I think would be a beautiful thing. And really um, to reach those folks, especially who who would not have another mechanism to know who we are, I think would be the most beautiful.
4: Uh, I like to dream big. So,
5: what I would love to see, which I don't like, I said, I love to uh, I'm dreaming big now. I would love to see nationally across all the states that, again, we have most places have the great American teaching. Okay. I would like that to be really truly expanded the pond because, again, with The pandemic like Dr. Reed said, we can do so much with learning online. And how we can reach more students is like, hey, they all go to school. (laughs) They all have to be in school at some point in time. And really just get it across the nation. Hey, you're striving to have more people in STEM. Let's get all of these great individuals across our nation who are in STEM to work on programs like this, where there are sessions online or that we have something prepared for students and then they get to talk with us live while they're in school. They get to see this, get to them all. This is how we can do equity. Why? Because I know in school, there's usually electricity and there's internet. Okay, and every student can get to at least a tablet or something, and we can reach them, just not pockets that can get it or can receive it and can see, oh, this is a physician or this is a pathologist or this is an astrophysicist and this is science. Hey, STEM is a big thing. They've been pushing it across all public schools and things. Let's get with them. I would like to see us join in. With the system, just give to it and have something that is provided nationally to all high school students. We're all physicians. We're available, can participate. We can sign up. We can talk. We can give a little 10, 15-bit things, show pictures, show images, little movies. These are things that catch them anyway. They like that. And get them the questions and have this opportunity that they can ask us professionals these Questions. It's like, yes, you can do this. And this is how I do it. And that would be
4: amazing if we could do something at that level. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Evita Henderson-Jackson.
1: This is a phenomenal platform. This has been a phenomenal forum. I am incredibly grateful to each and every single one of you for the incredible hard work that you do, and I am proud to join in partnership with you on behalf of this work. I will leave the floor open for any last closing statements, uh, words, sentiments of resiliency, advice, hope for a continuation
4: of this incredible work. I'd like to encourage
3: anyone who um, is interested in any of the programs we've mentioned so far, both the summer, um, sorry, both the Global uh, Certificate Program as well as the SMC Square Summer Program. If you'd like to be involved, there's room for you and you can reach out to us uh, via email. I'm not sure, maybe Jamie can help us with that. Um, If anyone else wants to be engaged with the DEI committee that, that this is a great opportunity and you don't have to be a member to participate we're looking for for engagement from just about anyone.
2: And I would just like to thank the entire committee and the administration of the society and the society itself for supporting all of these efforts and I think um, there were individuals who worked hard to make this happen but it was also a collective group effort for sure that would not be where it is without the work of the committee, but then also the behind the scenes work of many of our wonderful administrators and staff members. within the American Society of Cytopathology. So just thank you to all, because that's how we move forward, right? With individual contributions.
4: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thanks, everyone. All right. Thank
0: you for listening to Cytopath Pod. You can reach ASC on Twitter at Cytopathology or via email at ASC at cytopathology.org.